Elrod, big governor's race in Louisiana this Saturday. Mm-hmm. I love Louisiana, by the way. You know, I do too. I'm very jealous of their football team, LSU. Yeah. It's a Razorback fan. Huge win this uh, a couple big, uh, week big ago. Big, big win against Alabama. And, yeah. uh, and Jazz Fest. I'm mm-hmm. told Trombone Shorty, my favorite, is going to be doing GOTV down there. Really? Uh, my buddy David Turner, who's from the DGA, told me that. Really? Yeah. Great. That's a um, huge race. John Bell Edwards. Um, and, uh, well, let's bring in our guests because there's a reason why we're spending a little time talking about the governor's race. Uh, Nomely, who is the executive director of the DGA, the Democratic Governors Association, whose chair is uh, Gina uh, Romando, governor from Rhode Island. Um and Noam, welcome to the Electables. Congratulations on, first of all, um, Kentucky, which was a huge victory. Um, we didn't win Mississippi, but we did, I think, pretty, we did very well there in a state that Trump ran away with. I mm-hmm. think um, uh, uh, A.G. Hood only lost by five or six points, so that was a good showing. Um, but welcome to the Electables. We're really excited to sort of dig into the governor's races with you, get some uh Lessons learned from the race, uh, the races a couple weeks ago, and how they may apply to the what's going on nationally, and then also love to get your take on what's going to happen on Saturday. Great, thanks so much for having me. Um, so, uh, Kentucky, w- w- just bring our listeners. Hopefully, this will post today is uh, Thursday, so hopefully, we'll post this uh, by the end of today or tomorrow on Friday. But what's the latest on the Kentucky the Kentucky governor's race? Uh, so, as expected, the uh, the Recanvas of the vote wrapped up earlier today with no meaningful change whatsoever in the results. Um, Governor Bevins. Uh, Bravo. So Bravo. can we declare him a uh, winner? Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, um, <laughs> right here on the be, electables. Soon to be former Governor Bevins uh, problem with the, the process was that that uh, Governor-elect Bashir received more votes than he did. That's um, always a problem. And uh, Gosh darn it, those pesky and, voters. You know, oh, man. But after after making uh, some pretty outlandish claims with nothing to nothing to back them up. Um, yes, voter fraud and what other nonsense was he talking the about? The most interesting one I saw was um, all five of the other, because all of the other Republican statewides won and this one lost, it was rigged. Right, right. Um, it has nothing to do with him being uh, yeah, it was deeply yeah, unpopular. Voters don't have brains, and maybe they just don't want to vote straight party ticket. And vote for okay. him. Yeah, it's it's some of the, the theories and excuses have been wild. The bottom line is uh, Governor-elect Bashir ran a really, really impressive campaign um, against a governor who's done a ton of damage to his state and, um, and won the election. And w- I was just going to ask, what was the, so break down for the for our listeners? What was the message that uh, uh, Bashir ran on in terms of what were some of the key issues that he he talked about? Um, protecting health care, uh, the Affordable Care Act has done great things for the people of Kentucky. It was one of the most effective rollouts uh, right after it was passed um, under his father, former Governor Bashir, um, and uh, Governor Bevan has really uh, really spent four years attacking Kentuckians' ability to access the healthcare system. And um, that was a centerpiece of the campaign for sure. Um, restoring restoring funding for public education, restoring the respect that we have for public school teachers who were public enemy number one in Kentucky under Matt Bevan, um, and really restoring respect to the office of the governorship. Uh, the way that, that Matt Bevan interacted with 
people in the state, friends and foes, um, was was embarrassing. Um, he was a bully and uh, you know, resorted to the kind of name calling that um, just has no place in in our politics. And and voters were really looking for change. And this is a state that Donald Trump won by thirty points just three years ago. And the fact that that he was able to pull out this win, um, even you know, amidst the partisan admire, environment that we're in, um, was was really impressive. We we're thrilled about the race that that uh, now Governor Elect Bashir ran. Um, just an incredibly disciplined campaign with a great team, um, really making the case that that he can restore sort of the the what Kentucky had lost over the last four years. And also a great great night for the DGA. Uh, we invested nearly five and a half million dollars. Um, very strategically and, and judiciously to make sure that that we were competing, particularly toward the end. Um, obviously, 2015 was a tough year for the DGA losing uh, losing that race, and we invested considerable resources into actually digging into what went wrong, um, and put a significant amount of resources into a uh, a, a late breaking voter project to figure out sort of why the race shifted in the way that it did, um, and calling back a lot of the voters that we had talked to in polling right before the end of that race, replicating that in some of the elections in 2016 and 2017, and really able to deploy that um, last year in 2018 and, and certainly in this race in 2020, that we uh, that there are a lot of voters who just tune in at the end, and we need to make sure that we are, we are relitigating the entire race in a truncated period of time, that we need to reintroduce our candidate, our argument, and uh, make it completely. Uh, you know, the analogy I've heard that I like best is: is many voters. You know, we think about a campaign as a story, and you may start in June, July, and you know, by the second week of October, you're on chapter 13. But a lot of voters are just opening the book. So, mm-hmm. um, being able to to go back to square one and really and really communicate effectively down the stretch um, is something that we found to be really important. Um, we were outspent in Kentucky. Uh, the RGA put in about nine million. Uh, we spent about five and a half, but uh, we were not outspent in the closing weeks, uh, in the closing five weeks, which was huge for us. Um, we also really invested heavily in digital communication. Um, the campaign had one of the most robust field programs that the state has ever seen um, and and really believe that layering all of those efforts together to make one coherent message that we are, are using to meet voters where they are is really, really important and, uh, and, and delivered you know, in, a, in an election where we've won by 5,000 votes. Um, every little piece of that, everything our partners did, um, it all it all added up. That's incredible. So where did you see the biggest shift in voters? Um, I'm going to take a wild guess and assume that we saw a shift or maybe from the last from three years ago with suburban voters. But can you kind of talk a little bit about where, you know, the people who voted for Trump three years ago, who voted for Bashir this time, like where where did you see this big shift? So and the shift was definitely in the suburbs. We mm-hmm. we overperformed there. Um, we also ran up numbers in Louisville and Lexington, uh, netting a significant number of votes there. Um, but I think that there's a larger story than that in this particular race. I do think there's a lot of uh, a lot of good news coming out of the suburban results in Kentucky going into 2020. Um, I think the the problems for Republicans there are are only growing. 
um, and uh, and excited to to watch that continue and, and push make sure that continues in, in the races that we have coming up. But I do think there's also an important nod to um, the fact that Andy Bashir spent a lot of time in rural parts of the state mm-hmm. and the margins that he lost by in some of those areas were not nearly the margins that we're seeing Democrats losing in rural areas and other races. And so uh, it is it is just it is important to bring when you have a message of protecting people's health care, funding education and watching their backs, that's a message you can take everywhere. And we shouldn't be afraid to talk to any voter about what we're doing. Well, and I just want to make a um, point on what you just said about talking to rural voters. I think sometimes candidates um, and their campaigns don't think it's worth the time to go into some of these very heavily red areas, Trump country, and have these conversations. But what you're saying is that actually in this race, it mattered. It might have made ultimately the difference because a lot of these voters I think just want to be spoken to they just want to have conversations and they want to feel that um, the person who is who is um, competing for their vote actually cares about them um, some of them are not you know some of them are registered Republicans but I think a lot of voters and we saw this in some of our post analysis in 2016 just wanted to be talked to they just wanted to send someone to come have a conversation with them and for whatever reason Trump resonated very heavily with those voters, but it doesn't mean that they are, you know, not malleable, especially when it comes to some of these down ballot races. And I think we saw that in, you know, take place in Kentucky. Absolutely. The the struggles that that families are going through all over the country are real. And and being able to being able to vote for a candidate, particularly in a in a local and state office that you believe is on your side, understands what you're going through earns your trust. That's not a partisan thing. That's not a left-right thing. Um, it's much more of a authenticity uh, authenticity piece. And, and again, this is a message that isn't appealing to one type of demographic. We're not appealing to a demographic or a slice of voters. Like The, the things that, that Andy Bashir ran on are pretty uh, universal issues to be, to be litigating a race like this on. So um, yeah, I, th- I think it's important to continue taking the argument everywhere. And and like the DGA has won elections in eight states now that Donald Trump carried in 2016 since that election. I mean, that's significant. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, 2018 was you. a huge year for you guys. It, it was great. We netted seven governorships. Um, we held every incumbent, every Democratic open seat and flipped seven seats red to blue, including a lot of states that, that – Donald Trump won. We won Kansas. We won Wisconsin. We won Michigan. We held Pennsylvania. Um, and you know, there is a clear blueprint that we've established and our candidates have established. Our governors are, are really championing of, of the way that we win in places that are friendly to President Trump. And, and we need to, as a party, be able to talk to voters everywhere. Uh, being a 50-state party, which I certainly believe and our organization certainly believes that we need to be if we're going to be successful, means that we need to have different conversations in different parts of the country and can't leave anybody out and leave anybody behind or we're not going to be able to be successful. Take us down south to uh, Louisiana. Big big runoff this Saturday. Yes. Governor Bell Edwards. Looks like it's neck and neck right now, but... Um, where, where, where are we gonna where are we gonna end up what's your what's your and, and tell us what you guys have been doing to, to, to help that race out for sure um, we definitely believe John Bell Edwards is going to be reelected to a second term um, it is a very difficult race it was always going to be a difficult race it's a state where the president is popular um, but Governor Edwards turned a 
devastating deficit into a surplus. He expanded Medicaid. He signed landmark criminal justice reform. This is a this is a governor who has an incredible laundry list of accomplishments as the Democratic governor of a Republican state who had to do it with the support of Republicans in his legislature. He's been able to actually govern in a bipartisan way in 2019, which sounds insane, but Governor Edwards has done it. And I think it is clear from from looking at his job approval rating, his personal favorability in every poll that we see is in the high 50s to low 60s. People believe he's on their side. They believe he's fighting for them. He's doing a good job um, and are, are going to give him a second term because of that. Eddie Rispone, on the other hand, um, whose only strategy seems to be to hide from the press and, and embrace the president, um, brings to the table a record of hiring foreign workers at a time when Louisiana's economy was struggling and Louisianans were out of work, um, attacking Governor Edwards' military service, saying he was an embarrassment to West Point, which is just an insane thing to say. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a, a sort of character contest with Governor Edwards is certainly not a place that that really most people should ever want to be. I mean, he's one of the most uh, one of the most honorable people I've ever worked with, and um, and one of the reasons we're so excited to be supporting him. Um, it is, you know, as we said, a difficult race. Um, the early vote numbers have been really, really encouraging. Turnouts up dramatically. Uh, the African American share of the pri of the early vote electorate was up from about twenty four percent to thirty one percent, which is which is definitely encouraging. Um, you know, looking for looking for high turnout, obviously in 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 New Orleans and Baton Rouge, um, but I think it's it's very clear that this is a stark contrast in this race. That voters, again, believe John Bell Edwards is on their side. They believe he's earned a second term um, and and are going to be with him on Saturday. Um, this will be the largest engagement the DGA has ever had in an election, um, which we're really proud of. Um, our partnership with him, uh, with his team on the ground, who are really fantastic, and um, you know, couldn't be couldn't be prouder to to be working with him in the way that we have been, and, and excited for excited for Saturday. It, and, and I was going to say for for our um, listeners who may not understand the very complex um, electoral voting process in Louisiana, can you sort of explain? How this works? Why we're going? Yeah, to what runoff. happened? Why are we voting on Saturday? Yeah. Yes, totally reasonable question. So there's a uh, there's an all party primary in October, um, where there were two prime two main Republicans in the race, um, Rasponi and uh, Congressman Ralph Abraham. Um, Governor Edwards received about forty seven percent of the vote. You need to clear fifty to avoid a runoff. Um, he we always expected a runoff, planned for a runoff, and. Um, you know, no real, no real surprises there. I think the Republican side took that as an opportunity to interpret weakness on the governor's side, which is just you know, there's no evidence to back that up. Um, and you know, he received a much higher vote share than he did in the primary in 2015. Um, no, gov no office holder who's ever entered a runoff above 45 percent has ever lost a runoff. Um, you know, a, a popular Republican talking point has been no governor has ever been reelected in a runoff, but there's also never been a real runoff involving a governor. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, it, it was a lot of noise. But at the end of the day, the governor's running a really, really strong race in these last five weeks um, and, you know, leaving everything on the field, a, a really impressive turnout operation across the state. Um, you know, and, and like we talked about in Kentucky, we feel it's really important not just to, to be communicating on television, but really making sure that, that our message uh, on digital, mail, radio, uh, in our direct voter contact, that, that we are making a comprehensive argument for why John Bell Edwards has earned a second term. 
And also for our listeners, it's pretty common when Louisiana is having a runoff um, that takes place, of course, a, a couple of weeks after the general election, um, that campaigns deploy their staff to Louisiana. I was working for Mark Pryor's campaign in 2002 in Arkansas. Um, we won. It was great. <clears throat> and then, of course, we were, instead of celebrating, we all went down to Louisiana for about three weeks. And I think it was Kathleen Blanco. Does that sounds sound about right. right? Yeah. Um, and we won. So that was exciting. It's uh, I, I was in Baton Rouge and New Orleans in 2004. This was not this was for a Senate race. And uh, it's funny, we're, we're, you know, we've done, we've all done races all over the place, but everyone is like you get to their state or you get to their city and like you've never seen politics like it is down here. And the funny thing is, is like in New Orleans and Bat- in that in that state, the politics down, like it is a it is a contact sport. It is a contact sport. Um, I love the politics down there. Um, and, you know, he's been able to thread a needle. He's been able to walk a tightrope in terms of maintaining, you know, being able to get a number of very progressive things done while also being a good fit for the state. Um, what uh, just w- polls close at eight Saturday. Yes. Um, if we're checking out, if <laughs> if we're home on Saturday night, checking out the Secretary of State's page uh, in Louisiana, where do we want to? Where should we be checking? What are the what are the counties or going to be some bellwethers that you, we should be looking after? Um, you know, we're looking at the cities and the suburbs yeah. like we like we are kind of everywhere now. Um, Orleans Parish, Jefferson Parish, um, you know, kind of East Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know we need certainly need good turnout there. Um, but yeah. yeah, nothing, nothing surprising. Yeah. And how's the turnout operation looking right now? Very, very strong. Is that, um, is, is that what our friend Scott Arsenault is doing down there? It is. It is. Um, we, we have a great team down there and, um, the way that the Edwards campaign has been able to, to marshal resources and, and bring partners to the table, um, you know, other organizations and, and, you know, the state party to be able to, to run a really good, uh, really good operation on the ground. Um, his campaign is just incredibly impressive and, and it's been fun to watch what they've been able to do in a short period of time. And, um, you know, has healthcare been a big, uh, for sure, been a big issue for sure. Uh, governor Edwards expanding Medicaid, you know, obviously any governor who's been able to expand Medicaid in a Republican state, um, has quite literally saved people's lives. I mean, we were just looking on the way over here at a, a report from Florida, um, about the, the difference that, or the decrease in the mortality rate in states that take Medicaid expansion. And, um, you know, it's, it's, so insane to think about not not expanding Medicaid, but yet there's obviously a lot of states in the country where that hasn't happened, which truly just underscores uh, the importance of these governor's races. It's people's lives in the balance. And, uh, you know, I think one thing that has been exciting this year as we've made progress, but certainly challenging um, in our sort of ecosystem broadly is uh, is the lack of, of attention on some of these state races over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And the you know, governor's races, state legislative races are the only places where we are out fun- we were underfunded relative to our Republican counterparts. And we're starting to chip away at that and, and we've seen a lot of our, our partners and, and supporters really 
re sort of rethink that strategy and focus in a new way. You know, after we got wiped out in 2010, um, it was hard to make that argument and, and kind of get up off the mat. But um, going into going into redistricting and, and the, the 2021 census, um, and for all of the reasons that, that we've talked about, the issues that we care about are all are all happening at the state level, and making sure that we as a party are prioritizing electing governors, electing state legislators, attorneys general, um, it's its incredibly important. And the DGA has been uh, able to be very successful in an environment where we've, uh, we have not necessarily been the, the top priority for a lot of folks in the party. So um, again, we're thrilled with the increased engagement we've seen from you know kind of all corners of the Democratic Party this year, but are really looking forward to building on that in 2020 and, and looking forward. So if you were advising the Democratic nominee for president in 2020, um, taking all the lessons that you've learned and observed over the past few years since Donald Trump was elected in 2016, what would you advise? Like, not exactly what states to play in, but kind of what voters should should the nominee really be going after? Because we know ultimately at the end of the day, this is going to come down to a very small sector of the voting population who will decide the election in 2020. Um, we just had a guest on earlier who made it clear that, you know, Trump's got about 37 to 40% solid base. Um, you can argue the Democrat will be coming into this with about the same. So what would you, given what you've learned, given what happened in 2016, what you've learned since then, how, what would you advise the nominee to do in terms of which demographics, which uh, groups of voters to really focus on and so, how and, and what issues? Definitely. My first piece of advice would be to pick up the phone, call Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan mm -hmm. and ask her how she did it. Mm -hmm. Call Tony Evers in Wisconsin how he did it. Um, I, one of the things that was so exciting about 2018 was that we were able to we were able to win back some of those states that, that Trump carried in 2016 by focusing on healthcare and education and the kitchen table issues that are really affecting, uh, you know, affecting families. Um, and part of our ability to win those eight states that we've won that voted for Trump in 16 is about making sure that that, that is the way we're running those races. So I think our governors across the country um, in races that are going to be uh, in states that are going to be competitive in the presidential, like North Carolina, like Nevada, uh, like Colorado, there are a lot of governors around the country who I think would have a lot of, uh, a lot of, of important advice and, and tactics to to offer on how they were able to be successful mm -hmm. by by focusing on by being able to cut through the noise, ignore sort of the the narrative that everything is now about partisanship and really just focus on how you can make voters' lives better, how you can give them better access to less expensive health care, how you can make sure their kids are going to good schools and getting there on roads that aren't falling apart. And I, I think that, you know, I, I say this all the time and my team always laughs at me, but, it, you know, it's simple but not easy. Um, and I think that there's a pretty simple uh, there's a pretty simple blueprint here to be successful. And we have a lot of of governors that that have run that playbook successfully. So I hope that I really do hope that that whoever the nominee is really looks to Governor Whitmer and Governor Evers and Governor Cooper as as examples of how to win in tough places. I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. Um are you surprised we've had, we had we have and had a number of really just talented governors who who ran for president in um, tough states? Steve Bullock still in one Montana, Hickenlooper, um, Inslee, um, probably missing a few, but uh, you know some really Deval Patrick is now getting in. Um, what's your sense on? Um, and this, you know, the race obviously hasn't even started in terms of votes. 
Uh, so a lot can happen. But are you surprised that the governors who have run so far haven't picked up the sort of momentum and steam that maybe you would have seen 10, 15 years ago when governors were sort of the what everyone was looking at? I'm not terribly surprised. If we have we've spent the last several election cycles as a party focusing on Washington. And it's if you look at where the money has gone, where the stories are being written, where the attention and the spotlights are shown, it's not in state houses, not mm-hmm. in state capitals. And I think there's a downstream effect of that. You know, governors should be the best messengers for our party, what we are actually getting done, how we are actually impacting people's lives. And I think that's gotten a little lost for our party over the past few election cycles. And so I think this is is a symptom of that. I will say, you know, it, it was exciting to watch, um, you know, now the, with the Governor Inslee uh, is out of the race, watching everybody try to out Inslee each other on their climate policy and, mm-hmm. and the fact, the way that, that he was able to drive the discussion in a meaningful way, um, even though he's obviously not going to be the nominee, he was able to really make a significant impact on the race because he's actually done a lot of those things in Washington state. And that's an important thing. And I... I don't buy that voters don't care about it. Um, I think accomplishment's important. Uh, Steve Bullock got Medicaid expansion passed in a very, very red state. That's a major, major policy win. And he was able to get 25% of Montanans to walk into the into the voting booth and, and vote for Donald Trump and him, right. which is an impressive ability to appeal beyond you know normal left-right. Um, you know, he's a pragmatic leader who gets things done and um, you know, a, a great guy who we've enjoyed working with and, and want to see do well. But uh, you know, I think in general, governors being a larger governors being a larger part of this conversation would be beneficial for all of us is really important. And um, you know, demonstrating ability to affect change at an executive level is is something that I, I, I hope just moving forward in election cycles to come, we're able to kind of rethink some of those priorities and make sure that, that that's a positive in a, in a meaningful way. Well, yeah, exactly to that point. I mean, it used to be that you wanted a governor, like that's who you wanted to be your nominee, right? I mean, you look at Governor Bill, Bill Clinton. These are people who, you know, unless they served in Congress or in the Senate before or in the state house, state Senate, but even that's not the same thing, they don't have a voting record. I mean, they sign in legislation, but you don't have this like, you know, 500 pages of oppo research on votes they've taken. So it's the also perfect, a chief executive. And, you know, and, and a that's chief a executive, somebody who's, piece. yeah, exactly. Somebody who knows how to run, who knows how to run a state. So it's just fascinating to see um, how that trend is sort of reversed in the last 10 years or so. Yeah. We talk about, we talk about giving people access to healthcare. The first day Janet Mills is governor, a hundred thousand people in Maine get it. You know, Laura Kelly fighting to expand it in Kansas. Um, and not just healthcare, of course. You know, common sense gun legislation in in uh, Nevada, and the progress that we've been able to make all day kindergarten in Colorado. Um, we talk about a lot of issues that we all care deeply about, and the presidential campaigns talk a lot about you know things that I totally believe they'll be successful in doing. Whoever, uh, whichever of those candidates ultimately uh, ultimately is successful, but um, in the states. You know, in the context of a presidential race, but in general, uh, this is where the things that that anyone who cares about progressive politics and good public policy cares about 
th- that progress is being made in the states and on the other side of the coin where progress is being undone in the states in in places that um, that Republican governors are really uh, are able to roll back uh, Medicaid expansion are really able to defund education you know we have multiple states in the country now over the past couple of years where they've instituted four day school weeks because the schools are so deeply underfunded that they you, people can't send their kids to a, to school five days a week so you know that there are a lot of real problems facing you know facing people in our country right now and and our governors are the ones that are really at the forefront of of making tangible meaningful change let's jump ahead real quick to 2020 just what are some of the races that you guys are uh keeping what what are some of the races you guys are focused on in 2020 um Roy, Governor Roy Cooper in North Carolina is definitely the top priority of the DGA, making sure that we reelect him. feel very confident in, in our ability to do that, his ability to make that happen. Uh, he's been an incredibly effective, successful governor um, after after a long run as attorney general and, and has just done an incredible job in the state. Um, very excited to be to be continuing to work with him and, and feel good about the position he's put himself in for reelection. Um, we also are, are looking forward to holding the seat in Montana. Um, obviously, as, as we talked about, it is a, a state that voted for President Trump pretty convincingly, but we've also won the last four governor's races there and with four very different uh, sort of vote share kind of makeup of the election. So um, excited about being able to to run the race there and, and make sure that Governor Bullock's progress is not undone. Um, on the offensive side of the coin, very, very excited about New Hampshire um, and, and taking a real shot at, at unseating Chris Sununu. Um, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, you know, calling increasing the minimum wage dumb, vetoing uh, expansion of paid family leave. I mean, this is stuff that's just so out of lockstep with voters in, in, in New Hampshire um, and uh, a place where, uh, where the presidential – it's going to be ground zero for the presidential in both North Carolina and New Hampshire – are going to have incredibly expensive races all up and down the ticket. They're going to be the center of the political universe in 2020. Um, you know how how Sununu and uh, his neighbor Phil Scott in, in Vermont managed to do this sort of national, local dance, dance that, are, right. that is is challenging for them. Um, you know we're we're looking forward to to real shots at, at unseating both of them. And then in Missouri, um, state the state auditor there, Nicole Galloway. Mm-hmm. Um, is is a really really impressive tremendous candidate who in that office has a real record of fighting for taxpayers and recovering money uh, that was stolen from them and holding and, and holding bad actors accountable and I think she's the kind of champion that families are going to be looking for when they you know they want their governor to be fighting for them Nicole Galloway fights for them every day she's got a record of doing that um, and is really looking forward to to making that argument and, and taking that fight to to Mike Parson uh, next year. So I've got one final question for you, sort of um, hearkening back to talking about some of these states that are solid red Trump states but have Democratic governors. Um, do you think that this means that Mitch McConnell might lose in 2020 because of uh, the governor's race? Or do we – like, why do you see that? Why do you oftentimes see governors – you know, voters break with with their party on in, in terms of supporting a Democratic governor or vice versa in a lot of these states? We saw that with Massachusetts, of course, with Mitt Romney, too. Of course, we're in Kentucky and in many of these races, we win by making them about Kentucky or the state that we're running in Mm -hmm. uh, or making it about Louisiana. Um, The Republican playbook in these governor's races is all, you know, 
put up the face of an unpopular national Democrat in the state next to John Bell Edwards, next to Andy Bashir. The entire argument is they're a national Democrat, so you should vote against them and mm-hmm. support the president. You know, we are talking about the education system in Kentucky. And uh, and I think the the contrast really matters when we are able to make the these elections about the issues facing voters in those states, we win. Now, moving moving to next year in, in these federal races, I think the advantage in our effort to unseat Mitch McConnell of having a Democratic governor in that state is significant. Someone who's the head, who's now the head of the Democratic Party, and and able to really build on the historic field program that he was able to put together and run. Um, just being a being able to build the infrastructure on the ground and what he can do to make sure that the vote is is fair and accurate and protected. You know, we see um, we see impingements to ballot ballot access all over the country. Voting rights are, are as we all know, under attack pretty pretty consistently around the country. Mm-hmm. Having a Democratic governor in place as as we look to to take out Mitch McConnell next year is really important, and everybody should be. Very excited that that we were able to take that first step in making it uh, a little, just a little bit more possible. Noam, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, for folks, I mean, I think if you look at the what the DGA has done, uh, certainly in the last two cycles, if you look at um, eighteen and and now nineteen and leading into twenty, it is exceptional. You guys have done some amazing work, winning states that um, most people didn't think Democrats had a shot, whether it's Kansas, um, you know, now Kentucky. Uh, we may hopefully knock on wood win two out of these three um, governor's races in ruby red Republican states. And that says a lot about um, what you guys are doing there at the DGA and how you're supporting uh, these Democrats running in these very difficult um races, but it also says a lot about the candidates that we have and our incumbents and how well they've done. So anyway, good luck in um, Louisiana this weekend. Bring home a W. Uh, We're counting on it. And um, love to have you back Um, when 2020 turns around. We'll look at some of those races then. But thank you so much for coming on to the Electables. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. For my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell. This has been the Electables, and we'll catch you next time.